Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Hello and welcome to the Money Nerds podcast, where owning a calculator, budgeting your money, and having a net worth is actually cool. I'm your host, Whitney Hansen, and each week I'll be chatting with inspiring people to learn their secrets to financial success. Now let's dive into the show. If you are a parent, you are going to love today's episode. We are covering so much ground on how to talk about money with your kids, how much you should actually share and help you get a better idea of what you should actually be teaching your kids at different stages. Today's guest is a total rock star and professional when it comes to all things money. Robin Tobe is a CPA in Canada. She's a keynote speaker and best-selling author. Her latest award-winning book, The Wisest Investment, Teaching Your Kids to Be Responsible, Independent, and Money Smart for Life, gives parents the information, strategies, and inspiration they need to teach their kids about money. She has a Bachelor's of Commerce with high distinction from Rotman School of Management at University of Toronto. Robin also puts her money where her mouth is, and she has two money-smart young adults, a son and a daughter. I really like this episode. I'm not a parent, but I really enjoy learning about how to talk to kids about money, what's appropriate and what's not. So we're going to dive into how the world becoming increasingly more digital led Robin to write a follow-up to the book she wrote 10 years ago, having important money conversations with your kids without scaring them, five pillars of Robin's book, earn, save, spend, donate, or share, and invest for the long term, how to approach talking to your teens about investing for post-secondary education, how to avoid enabling bad financial habits that kids can develop, doing gratitude practices with your family and how that can help you with your financial life, Probably one of the most important pieces, teaching your kids needs versus wants. I feel like this is something we adults need too, but man, kids especially, if you can get them before they get old and make the same mistakes that we did, they're so much better off. So teaching your kids exactly how to know the difference between a need and a want. And then we kind of wrap up the conversation with figuring out how much information to share with your child about your own finances. If you have kids or are around kids, I know this episode is going to be very helpful for you. And I am so excited to introduce Robin Tobe. Let's go ahead and dive into this episode. 
Hey, do you need a financial coach? If so, let's work together. As a coach, I help you get structure around your finances, visualize your ideal life, whatever that looks like for you, and more importantly, put together a strategy to help you get there. A lot of people hire me because they want to pay off debt faster and more efficiently and boost up their savings or increase their credit score, and those are all awesome goals. Financial coaching just helps you because I hold you accountable the entire way. Yeah, for better or worse, we're kind of like we're married. So if you want to take the podcast concepts that you're learning here and apply those to your life with my help, then you need to apply for coaching at WhitneyHanson.com slash customized dash coaching. Once again, that's WhitneyHanson.com slash customized dash coaching. I am so stoked to work with you and help you reach your financial goals. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. Today, I'm joined by one of my new friends, Robin Tobe. Thank you so much for hanging out, Robin. I'm excited to be here, Whitney. Thanks. I am so excited to chat with you about your book. So you wrote a book that is called The Wisest Investment. And Mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about why you decided to write this book and why now. Okay. So this book is an update to a book that I wrote about 10, 11 years ago. And the focus has always been helping parents teach their kids about money. But in the 10 years since the first book came out, the world has changed a lot. So we're now in a digital a digital era where we're rarely using cash. So how, how does that make teaching our kids about money more challenging? But also, what are some of the benefits of that? And then, as you are well aware, we came through this pandemic. And that also is a financial wake-up call about the importance of being financially literate. And there were some, just some aspects of teaching and just the overall importance of this uh, became so obvious during the pandemic. So I felt that the book also needed to be updated to reflect that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. When you initially wrote this, was this something where you wrote it because so many people were asking you for advice there? Or is this almost like you wrote it for people that were like you? Like, what was the inspiration? Right. So I'm an accountant by training. I'm a CPA. And the, when the, the first book came out, it was just around the time of the 2008 global financial crisis. And I'm in, in Canada, and here there was a task force on financial literacy because there was this idea that if people uh, had better knowledge, skills, and confidence around money, then maybe some of uh, the negative impacts of the global financial crisis could have been avoided. Mm-hmm. So the governing body of CPAs decided that they wanted to do something to help parents because their research showed that parents were really struggling with this. One survey found that 78% of parents had tried to teach their kids about money. Two thirds didn't feel they'd been very successful and more than half didn't even know what information they needed. So they approached me because I was a member and I was volunteering for, for them on another completely unrelated initiative around women's leadership. But they, they knew that uh, I was doing work in financial literacy. I have kids myself. They're now in their 20s. But at the time, they were like younger, like early teens. So they asked me to write this book in order to help other parents with this struggle they were having. I love that you were able to dive into this topic. and discuss to parents because I think there's so much there's so much guilt and shame that parents feel around I don't know what to teach my kids like I'm barely living paycheck to paycheck myself how can I even possibly teach my kids and so I thought those stats that you mentioned were really interesting Mm. from your perspective what are the what are the reasons that parents maybe aren't quite as effective about talking about money with their kids 
So one is that they feel like they don't have the time. Another is they feel like they don't have the knowledge. A subset of the time is feeling like they don't have the opportunities. Mm. You know, like they feel like they have to carve out special time to teach their kids. But really what I encourage parents to do is to look for teachable moments, to build a money lesson into their day-to-day lives because we're constantly interacting with money and we take for granted the way some of these tools that we use work like debit cards and credit cards and tapping and but you know our kids our younger kids don't really understand so just taking a few minutes to explain what you're doing or to answer their questions that's the way you can integrate financial literacy into your day-to-day lives because as i said a lot of parents just feel really challenged with with the time and then like you said there's so much research that shows that Parents are ashamed, feeling like they should be doing better at this stage of their lives. So it's just easier to avoid the topic altogether. But just because you're not talking about it doesn't mean your kids aren't learning from you in the way you behave around money. So they're watching and listening and picking things up. Yeah, and like you said, too, a lot of parents are afraid they're going to make mistakes. They're not, they're not doing it right themselves and they're embarrassed about that. And how can they teach their kids if they, you know, if they don't really know what they're doing. So I try to encourage parents still, you know, this is something you can learn with your kids and they are looking to you to be really important financial role models for their lives. I like that you said you can learn this with your kids. And I'm kind of curious I, I don't have children myself, but I grew up in a family of six kids. So I, I kind of feel like <laughs> at a certain point, maybe wow. the mentality is it's too late. My kids are already 16 or 17. They're going off to college or university. I'm I'm too late. Is that true? No. You know, the, the, the expression that the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, but the second best time is today. Yeah. It's kind of like that. Ideally, you will have, you know, been teaching your kids about money from the time that they're around five so that you can lay a foundation and build on it. Mm -hmm. And I think we're going to talk about these five pillars of money, but that's what I mean by the foundation, because these five pillars, which are earn, save, spend, share, and invest, they never change, but the specific topics and examples for each of the five do. So if you haven't started and your kids are teens, then you would just jump in, uh, you know, at that level, because you don't want to start with like piggy banks <laughs> when they're teenagers. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, right? Them about saving. No. So you want to make sure, you know, any information you share with your kids is age appropriate, but it's never too late to learn something new or to get better or to form better habits. So I don't want parents to feel discouraged if they haven't been doing this. Just start now because research does show that teens who talk about money at home with their parents are more confident and optimistic about their financial futures and better prepared for the decisions that they'll face. So it's worth it to make that effort. How do you approach, I've noticed a lot of us have inherited sometimes good, sometimes bad money mindsets from growing up and our parents. Mm -hmm. How do you do you have any like recommendations for approaching that conversation and being maybe a little bit more intentional so that you aren't imposing scarcity or, yeah. you know, money's going to be a constant struggle? Like, how do we have those conversations without discouraging kids? Right. Because um, in addition to like, you are setting an example as a parent and you are sending messages, uh, even if they're not overt you know, your kids are picking this stuff up by osmosis. So like you said, if there's a scarcity mentality, 
often kids will be really good with budgeting, but they may not know a lot about investing and building wealth. So they need to round out their financial education. Um, On the other end of the spectrum, if there is a lot of money, um, A, parents may not be comfortable talking about that with their kids. And B, you know, they, they, there could be bad habits that start to form early. So when money is, you know, so abundant, spending isn't such a big deal. Sometimes money smooths the way as a parent, it's just easier to let your kid go and do and get, get, get them a credit card on the family card. And just, then they don't bug, bug you in quotes all the time. So totally. often like, you know, sometimes you find with wealthy families, the spending can get out of control. So just in general, these habits that start early, um, you know, they create grooves in the mind habits. They're like neural pathways that are, they're hard to rewire. So you want to try and establish good habits as well as good mind, good money mindsets early. And, you know, again, if you're, if you're coming from a family where, um, you know, there hasn't been a lot of controls over your spending and money just seems to be there when you need it. It's, it takes a lot of conscious effort and thought to, to rewire those habits. It makes a lot of sense too. And I think it, it is probably feels like a lot of pressure, but I appreciate that your book breaks down very actionable tips that people can use to spark those conversations to teach their, their kids. So let's start with the five pillars again. Do you mind repeating Mm -hmm. what those are? No, of course. So the five pillars are earn because first you got to earn money or else you don't have any, and therefore you can't make the choices, um, which are the other four pillars Mm -hmm. to save it, to spend it, to donate or share it, and then to invest it for the long term. So I, when I was writing the book, I, uh, you know, I, I felt I needed a structure to help parents know where to jump in and what, you know, what to think about whenever their kids want to talk about money or just to know what was age appropriate. So I think of it as like four different stages. So you have young kids, preteens, teenagers, and young adults. And then within each of those four stages, you have these five pillars and almost any topic you can think of will fall under one of these five pillars. So a parent can open the book if they have preteens and teenagers and just focus on those chapters or even those specific pillars within those chapters, depending on what's coming up with your kids. You know, so you don't have to read the whole book at once. I just wanted to make it really accessible for parents and digestible because this can feel like a really, I mean, personal finance, as you know, you have a podcast, is a vast topic. It's overwhelming in some ways. And the more you start to get into it, the more you realize how big it is. So I wanted parents, I wanted to put them at ease and to, to feel like they had a roadmap. Like, you know, here's, if I just cover these basics at every age and stage, like my kids will have a pretty good grounding on what they need to know. I dig it. I think it, it makes a lot of sense. So let's start with that first age group that you've identified. And it's these young littles. How yeah, the heck are we teaching littles. them? So earning Is it like, do you recommend tying it to chores or like, how do you approach the earning aspect? Right. So some people are like, what do you mean earning for young kids? Like my kids five, but um, they do earn money again in air quotes. And it could be, you know, gifts for birthdays or holidays from the tooth fairy. So they're getting money in. um, And as you say, from allowance, which is obviously a big topic. And, you know, the issue kind of becomes like, should it be tied to chores? 
or our chores done as um, part of family responsibility. I mean, you came from a big family. I'm assuming you had, you know, everyone had to pull their weight in order to make sure it wasn't like chaos and, you know, pandemonium. So I think there's a happy balance between paying your kids an, an allowance so they have money that they can make those choices, what to do with it, and then make mistakes when the stakes are low and live with consequences. So it's really important that they have access to some money. Um, but some, you know, some families really want their kids to do, uh, to be paid to do their chores. And there's some great apps. You probably see them now to help families manage allowance and to keep an eye on spending and, you know, to actually pay the allowance to assign chores and all those kinds of things. These great family finance apps out there. That is awesome. Is there one that you tend to recommend most? Well, again, I'm in Canada and there is one um, called Wallow that is um they're just launching now and again it, it has the practical side as well as an educational component that nice. um is gamify that teaches kids about money as well as like you know letting them get an allowance get a debit card be able mm-hmm. to use it to spend um on different things and have parental oversight i love that that's awesome i'll definitely link that in the show notes too and a couple yeah. of the ones that i see common in the US will be linked as well. Yeah. Green light is one that I green see huge. Yep. is common in the US. Um, there's another one in Canada called Mido. Again, our banking si- systems are so separate. So if you have a, an audience that is in both countries, I think you have to look at what's available in your country, but just the idea, because as I said at the beginning, we're not using cash that much. Right. I think a lot of parents would be hard pressed to like find, you know, cash on allowance day. So yeah. being able to manage it digitally, and then I mean, really, realistically, your kids are going to be using debit cards and managing their money digitally. And as I said at the beginning, like this digital era we're in, it's tough because it's frictionless, which makes it really easy to spend. Mm-hmm. But there's also tools that have come up that really let you keep an eye on your spending, let you track it and create budgets and monitor it in real time and just stay on top of things. So you know, there's pros and cons, like many things. That's so true. I'm curious about the investing piece. I think the saving piece makes a lot of sense. The giving piece, I think we we can all kind of wrap our heads around, but investing for a five-year-old, like what the heck are we <laughs> teaching them at this age? Again. I love it, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Like, look, I I agree. Like at, for certain stages, there is more content that is more obvious. So for example, with you know, teenagers, emerging adults there's a lot more in the chat uh, section that you would think of as like typical investing Mm -hmm. but for young kids what I try to um introduce to parents was the idea of just entrepreneurship like investing in a little business and and I think I you know I might have used the example um it's kind of like a riff on the lemonade stand but it was like these little kids that went to art school and created all kinds of like You know, when you have little kids, they do a lot of art at school and after school and stuff, and they have an inventory. So this little kid did like an art sale. So So cute. Yeah. I mean, and I have neighbors um, that, I mean, they're a little older, they're preteens, but they have this little bead business. They make beaded bracelets and some of the proceeds go to a children's hospital in Toronto where I live and the rest goes back, reinvest in the business and they're on Instagram and stuff like that. So Kids can learn a lot of skills because investing, you know, I mean, it's it's kind of about buy low, sell high. You boil it down. Right. So even with the lemonade stand, you kind of learn about 
about that, like buying your ingredients and your cups and then selling it for more and making a profit. So that's how I introduced that topic at that age. I love that. There were (laughs) a couple little gals kind of by my house that were setting up a lemonade stand. And I, every time I see that, I have to stop. I'm like, I have to support little entrepreneurs. This is amazing. (laughs) And it was the cutest thing. These gals have been out there. I want to say a solid eight hours, which respect the hustle. That's a lot. (laughs) But they told me that they had made $85 over that course of the day. I'm like, Oh, like, that's incredible. That's a lot of money for the, I mean, they had to have been under 10. I was so impressed. Eight, uh, oh my God, that is impressive. Um, but you still see them. Like my assistant and I were always taking pictures when we see a lemonade stand because it so seems cute. it's like a cliche thing, but it really, kids still do it. And like you said, you can't walk by without supporting them. So I think they do get some pretty good business. The best too is when they get to that age where they understand they can do QR codes and you're like, Oh, I don't have any cash. They're like, Oh, hold on. (laughs) I'm like, dang, this is incredible. Have you seen that though? Yeah. A couple of times. I see it mostly with the Girl Scout cookies. Oh, you can pay with a QR code or with a swipe or something. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes they'll do, you can just pay through Venmo or you can just swipe your card with square. I'm like, Yeah. There's no, I know, they're, they're pretty sophisticated. These are young, but that's, that's a great illustration. Like we're in a digital society now and people are adapting to that. Yeah. Including these little kidpreneurs. Let's talk about maybe the, what I think would be a very difficult age, which would be the teens and mm-hmm. money. And I think, I mean, a lot of kids want to just go get their job and be away from the house, but what, mm-hmm. what do we do when it starts to approach maybe the investment side where you're talking about college tuition. Do you have any tips on how to approach that? It's a little bit different in Canada because post-secondary is a little more subsidized by the government. It's a little more reasonable, Sure, but it's still a big expense for, for parents to plan for. And, and I think also once they're teenagers, they're involved. So they may be working part-time jobs, summer jobs in order to have money set aside for when they go away to university and they may continue to work when they're away at university or college. So like in Canada, we have a special tax advantage investment account that helps parents save for post-secondary where there's matching by the government, you know, within certain framework. So, you know, I try to encourage parents to start that very early because, and then you can get your, you can explain to your child how it works. And then when you collapse the plan, the income earned on it goes into the child's, the student's hands is taxed there. Mm -hmm. So they kind of have to be involved with, with it. And, you know, you have to have proof that you're enrolled. So you get your kids to go and get that proof and get them involved in understanding like, how much things cost and where the money's coming from. Like they need to be involved with that. They need to have skin in the game, yeah. right? Because if someone else, if anytime they're spending someone else's money, whether it's for college or even if it's just for like a new pair of shoes or clothes or something, it never counts the same. It never hurts the same as when you're spending your own hard-earned money. If that ain't the truth. Oh my gosh. <laughs> right? Yeah. How do you, how do you approach the fine line between helping and educating and enabling. I, I feel like yeah. I see a lot of that enablement very early on, all the way up to like, you know, 30, 40 year olds. Like it's pretty crazy, but how do we approach that? So you mean like bailing them out? 
in yeah. a way to ha- continue with their bad habits. Yeah, totally. Right. So, you know, that is one of the reasons I try to encourage parents to start early when the stakes are low, because then you can, you know, your kids can make the mistakes like blowing their money on something that they regret, like something stupid that they never ended up using or that they could have waited and bought used. Just thinking of some mistakes my own kids made. So you do that when the stakes are low and you learn, then when the stakes are higher, you don't make those mistakes because they just get more expensive and harder to dig out of. So I try to encourage parents not to bail their kids out. So like, if you do have a kid that tends to like go let's say go out with their friends after school, they go buy a drink at McDonald's or they go to Starbucks and, you know, they fritter it away on these little like the latte factor, little indulgences. And then the weekend rolls around and they don't have any money because they've kind of frittered it away on these little indulgences. Try not to bail them out and give them money to go out on the weekend because it just sends the wrong message that there will always be more where that came from. And that's not true because money is a finite resource. So we want to teach our kids that early that, you know, when you, when you spend it, when it's gone, it's gone. And there's no, you know, in real life, there's not usually someone there to bail you out. It ends up being debt, as you know. Mm-hmm. So that's really, I, you know, again, I think with wealthier families, it's sort of, it's a slippery slope and it kind of happens. And I hear this a lot, like, you know, the horses out of the barn, the kids have these spending habits, but Again, you want to try and establish these habits early because they are hard to rewire. It can be done though. Yeah. What about if you get to the point where maybe you have always bailed out your kids for whatever reason, maybe it's you just felt guilty because you weren't putting in as much time as a parent. And so we sometimes overcompensate and spend extra, but you get to the point where you're like, shoot, I'm listening to Robin and I recognize that I have messed up. I have not been helping my kids. I've been enabling them and hurting mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. How do we how do we shift that conversation? Do you have any any tips or advice there? Yeah, I do. And I think that reframing things. So one thing that kind of gets one of the pillars that gets a bit overlooked is the share yeah. donate pillar. And so I think if you can do certain things as a family that focus on helping others or on gratitude. Um, that can really help. So, you know, first of all, don't, you know, don't tell your kids you can't afford it if you can, because they will see through that. So instead try to talk to them about the difference between needs and wants, you know, needs being the must haves for survival and wants being the nice to haves. And then again, encouraging them to, to get a job or to work if they're not already doing so in order to get some of these things that, you know, they want to have and do. But again, you can do philanthropy as a family. Um, You know, I know families that volunteer together um, at soup kitchens or fundraisers for uh, different charities, like for cancer research. Kids can get involved with school fundraisers. It just opens their eyes up to the fact that not everybody lives the way that they do. And it just teaches them to be more appreciative of what they have and less demanding and maybe less materialistic. And then like just having some kind of gratitude practice too can really help because gratitude doesn't seem to come naturally. Like we tend to make upward social comparisons and focus on what we don't have and what other people have. And especially kids with social media and FOMO and the fear of missing out, they can become very demanding. So sort of by bringing it back to gratitude and thinking about, you know, a highlight of your week or one thing that happened 
that week or that day that you're you're grateful for can kind of shift the shift that mentality and shift the conversation from like you know everything I don't have to what I'm grateful that I do have. This is so good. Like I, I mean, I know we're talking about kids, but what a good practice for us adults too. Right? Because man, like how so with your family, what was did you did your family like have a specific gratitude? practice that you would implement or how did that look for you guys? So one thing I like to do is to share like a small win or a highlight of the week, like once a week at dinner, just go around the table and everyone can um, just tell everyone else about like something that went really well for them that week, whether it was at work or at school or, you know, socially, because it just, I think it just focuses again on optimism and, and being grateful for what what's good in your life as opposed to always like focusing on like that glass half empty. Mm. I think that's a good one. Some people like to journal and write it down. Yeah. I think there's so many different ways to, to do that. I personally like gratitude walks where I will take a little break, grab my coffee and go walk around the block Mm -hmm. a few times and just be present and have that moment of like, you know, I'm so grateful. I'm alive. I've got coffee. I'm outside. Like what a blessing. And sometimes I think those small things are enough really to prevent a lot of that materialistic outlook. Yeah. Like that's kind of reminds me of like mindfulness. Um, Yeah. Cause I I like to also like really like savor my morning coffee. Um, Also outside, like get some, some like early sunshine exposure and, you know, just start my day off with, with the right mentality and just like reframe things in a in a positive way like we're not we have to do this but we're lucky we get to do this like that kind of attitude and again it's hard with with social media and now social commerce so it's like they make it so as I said so frictionless and easy to feel like it's never enough and you need the latest this that or the other to be happy and to keep up so you're really fighting against that and so, like you said, it's so important to take those breaks and, and recenter and disconnect from all that. It's so true. And I, I can imagine the impact on, on kids and teens is so much stronger with mm-hmm. the materialistic pull. What are, what are some ways that you would approach a conversation with a teen about, hey, be careful about you know social media and body image and just like all this stuff yeah. that will maybe want you to spend more money to feel better like is there ways to approach those conversations yeah like some of it is a bit about like digital literacy and just um like not even financial literacy totally. but digital like just that we're exposed to so much media that tries to convince us that our wants are needs so it kind of goes back to that needs versus want conversation which crops up a lot in the book and at different stages. Mm -hmm. So it's just reminding your kids of what the difference is. As I said, that, you know, that the needs are like shelter and food and basic clothes to wear. And the wants are like going out for dinner and going on vacation. And like the, you know, those, the little things that, that are really fun, but they're not always like necessary. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and also how every, you know, on social media, it's like everybody's highlight reel, like living their best life. It's not reality. You're not seeing, you know, the true, what, what goes into it. And like, I'm sure you've seen some of those exposés where it's like, someone looks like they're on a private jet, but like, if you like back up, it's like a set. Yeah. Literally people are faking this life and yet teens are so impressionable. 
And they think like, oh, so-and-so's flying around everywhere, you know, private jet. But like, it's so easy to fake it. So you really have to, it's like anything, you have to be a bit skeptical. Um, If something, like, especially financially, like if something seems like it's too good to be true, like an investment or get rich quick thing, like it probably is too good to be true. It's probably a scam. So just like being a little skeptical about what you see you know, limiting the amount of time you spend on social media, Um, you know, maybe sometimes going out and like leaving your credit card behind. Although I know now it's like on our phone. So (laughs) I know it's really hard. Yeah. Like I actually just disabled the tap on my debit card. Nice. Because I was like, because it like here, there was like a $200, like, um, you know, limit. So I was like, God, if I dropped it, one of my friends just dropped her debit card at a farmer's market. And like anyone could have picked it up and like spent money tapping mm, away. True. So I disabled that, which also just takes the friction out and it makes, okay, then you have to like pay a different way or like use cash or whatever. So it just kind of slows things down again, put some friction back in, maybe harnesses some of that spending. It's so true. I think that's a really good tip too. I really do like that one. You mentioned the wants versus needs conversation. Yeah. Let's talk about maybe the different groups, age groups, and like what would be an appropriate way to educate on wants versus needs. Yeah. I mean, it's going to start pretty early because your kids are going to start asking for things. You know, once they go to school, like preschool even, and they see they're around other kids and they see what they have and do, or just in the neighborhood, like they're going to start asking about money and they're going to start asking for stuff. So again, using age appropriate examples or language, you know, to explain that, your needs are the things that you have to have. So you have to have somewhere to live and you have to be able to eat like food that's nutritious. Um, and you, you know, you need shoes that fit and clothes that fit. So I think even little kids can understand that. And then with older kids, it's, it's, it's a similar conversation, but you know, their world opens up and there's more things that they're going to want to have that are wants, right? Like mm-hmm. cooler, cooler clothes or designer clothes or like the latest cell phone or laptop or video game. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty endless list. So again, maybe, and, and also I think like adolescents, teenagers, they become a little bit self-centered and they don't realize or appreciate that you as a parent, as the head of the household, have a like a full budget to manage, right? A con- like a huge budget. Like you have to make sure there's enough money for all the thing, everything that you need. And it's not just like rent or mortgage. It's, you know, utilities, it's internet, it's cable, it's um, entertainment. It's it's just like, it's everything for everyone in the family. So maybe, you know, once they're a little older, you can talk to them about that a little bit. It's not their responsibility. It's still yours, but at least they can have an appreciation for all the needs that are some of which are invisible in a house or, you know, a home mm-hmm. that have to be met before there's money left over for wants. And that if they really want some things, they can, you know, work to try and help pay for those things, you know, because you can't, it's, it's really hard. It's, it's tough to make ends meet right now. There's, you know, interest rates are going up. Inflation is high. Things are really expensive and people are looking for ways to actually, you know, spend less. And so depending on how mature they are, you can have those conversations. Is it ever appropriate, Robin, to just open up your entire budget and say, yo, here's what we're working with. Here's how much money I make. Here's how much I spend. Is that an okay thing to do? Is that overwhelming? Is it too TMI? Like what's your perspective there? 
I tend to think it's a little TMI. Again, depends on your own child and it depends how mature they are and it depends on their temperament. Like, are they, you know, are they like going to get stressed? Are they going to be anxious? And you also have to stress confidentiality because these are private family matters and not stuff that you want them sharing with their friends or God forbid on social media. So I think you have to like, you know, I do believe in transparency and I do believe, um, in teachable moments. Right. And those two things, like what you just said, like kind of going over your household budget with your kid really speaks to both of those things. Mm -hmm. But again, you don't want them to feel burdened by it. Um, but I think if, if you're comfortable and if you stress confidentiality and it feels appropriate and maybe your child is mature, like a late teen or, or, you know, a young, um, a young adult going to college and you're trying to explain like why you can afford this college but not that college then yeah I think it can be appropriate mm-hmm. uh, I think every family has to judge that for themselves um, you know I think in families where there's significant wealth too those conversations eventually have to be had that's so true um, right to get you know adult children involved in estate planning and all those kinds of things so again just keep that age appropriate rule in mind and um, you know you have to just make that decision that makes for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that too. Cause I, I would imagine depending on the types of money conversations you have, sometimes opening up the door to even the income piece can immediately lead depending on the kid to, well, I see you got the money. What's the problem? <laughs> we can do yeah. this. Well, that's so just it. They that might ask you, uh-huh. how much money do you make? You know, they might really ask you that. And then you have to be prepared to answer that. And then maybe, as you said, you sort of explain, like, it seems like a lot, but do you realize that whatever percentage first goes to taxes, to income tax, you know, different levels of government, you can get into, you know, explain that a little bit with them because that's really important. And when they're working, they're going to encounter that for themselves. You know, so once the tax is taken off and then, you know, all the different things that a house, you know, all the expenses related to the running a household and then like all the other things that you're trying to save for like retirement or college or so it, it might help open their eyes. And, you know, again, there are kids that have to contribute to the household that work. So in that case, it's probably necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, so every family situation is unique, but what do you find in your practice? Do you find that parents want to open up to their kids or? Yeah, no, <laughs> I feel like they don't. Most- most of the time they are so, they're so nervous to have that conversation. And I think it's because it's just so taboo still, which is unfortunate, but it's like, Oh, my parents didn't talk about money at all. So how dare my kids even ask how much money I make? It just feels like almost like they're overimposing, even though, I mean, it's, it's a good thing for kids to know, like how much do you make as a CPA or as a financial coach or working, you know, for a big company? Like what, what does that role actually entail financially? Right. Because won't that help them make a good choice as to, you know, what they may want to do for a living when they're older or what path they want to take when they go to college? Like that is an investment in your future earning uh, ability to earn. So you, you want to make an informed decision and, and have as much information as possible. That's so but, true. Yeah. I think there's just a fear that, that the word will get out and that they're going to say something to the wrong people or, you know, and again, there's shame if they're not doing as well as they think they should be. And if yes. there's a ton of money, there's sensitivity around that too. Like it's, it's really, it is taboo. It's so fraught. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it it's really so is. strange. 
Yeah. I guess maybe maybe a way we could approach that. I'm trying to think if I had a if I had a kid that asked me, hey, how much money do you make? I would probably approach it of that's an interesting question. What 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 are you asking? Yeah, like what do you want to know, kid? No, I'm teasing, but I probably would say something <laughs> like that. And then maybe reframe it into are you curious about your career path? Like, let's explore right. that together and yeah. see how much you might be able to make. Yeah. Like, I think the important thing is parents shouldn't shut their kid down. Maybe dig dig in and find out, like, why are they asking that? Like, is yeah. there something behind that? Like, you don't, don't feel like you have to, like, right away just say, okay, like, here's my employment contract. I make this <laughs> totally. These are my benefits. Like, you don't have to do that. But you can have, like, a, a different kind con- of conversation maybe that's just as valuable that you're more comfortable with. And it's kind of interesting because the opposite, like um, my kids who are now both working, like they're graduated from university for a few years already. Like they're very transparent with me about what, how much they're making, how they're negotiating for their raises and promotions. Um, It's really funny. Like it, it kind of doesn't go the opposite way. Like they're very open about it. That's awesome though. I bet that's so helpful too, just for them to have your perspective and being a CPA, you see all kinds of financial situations. And so I can imagine that's like really good, meaningful conversations. It is. I I was actually really happy that they both um, wanted to talk about it and wanted to discuss like, you know, just the job market and negotiating tactics and, you know, how, what to say and how hard to push and Mm -hmm. all that stuff. It was, it was really good. Yeah. I love that so much, Robin. This has been such a fun conversation. I know I've definitely learned a lot and it's opened my eyes to, more age-appropriate types of conversations to have. And again, I just want to reiterate, the book is The Wisest Investment. Where mm-hmm. do people get a copy? You can go to uh, the website for the book, which is thewisestinvestment.com. So very easy. It's the same name as the book. Um, and if you go there, I also have um, a free exercise, which is a role model self-assessment because we talked about how we're important role models for our kids and that they're learning from us. Um, so you can get that for free at that website. And then I have a second website, which is my name, um, robintobe.com. And there's more information there um, as well about my speaking, but you can also, there's a link to the book there also. Perfect. My friend, are you down for some rapid fire questions before oh, yes, we officially I, part ways? Yes, I am. I am. Let's do it. Okay. My first question for you, what's one purchase you recently made that has made your life better? We bought a fancy coffee machine during COVID and I love it so much. What'd you go with? You know, it's a Jura. Have you heard of it? No, I don't think I have. J-U-R-A or R-R-A. Huh. Um, It's so great. So I never go out for coffee anymore. I just make my own and it's like just a pleasure. Like you were saying your coffee with, you know, and your walk around the block. Like I just look so forward to that in the morning. Nice. That's awesome. I will definitely check into that too. That sounds like (laughs) it could elevate my mindful walks. (laughs) Yes, it could. could. Do you use like, do you make your coffee or do you usually I'm so boring. I just like normal coffee beans and creamer. (laughs) All right. My next question for you is where is one location you're dying to travel to? Ooh. I would have to say Thailand and we're actually planning a trip. My husband's celebrating a big birthday in December. So yeah. So we're, we're going to Thailand and I've never been. Oh, that's going to be so fun. What are you most looking forward to? 
we're going to like we're we're doing the planning now and we're planning to spend like four days at a resort Perfect. just on the beat on an island. Um, I'm really looking forward to that because I think it'll be a really busy fall. Um, November is financial literacy month in Canada, so that's always a really busy time. I'm also looking forward to apparently you can like frolic with elephants there. What? <laughs> yeah, you can like feed them and like see them and get up close. So I'm looking forward to that. That seems re- and the food. Oh, yeah. You guys say more like young Thai food. That's going to be so incredible. I'm so excited for you. Thank you. All right. I'm always curious what books have been impactful in people's lives. So what is yeah. one book you find yourself gifting most often aside from your own? <laughs> yeah, exactly. My own would be at the top of the list. <laughs> totally. um, the book that I've been recommending um, lately to people that I really enjoyed was uh, The Psychology of Money by Morgan Hazel. Have you mm. read that? When I have. I loved it so much. Oh, so good. And I listened to the audiobook too. And I like his blog. Like, it's just great. And I, I, my husband read it. My kids read it. I told some friends about it. So I really like it. Um, I also love Michael Lewis. So you may know him as the author of Liar's Poker or The Blind Side or Moneyball. Mm-hmm. He's just written some really great books. Another one of my favorites is the undoing project. So I really like him and I, I just, yeah, I like to get those books and recommend those books too. And then I've, I've been reading some fiction. Like I just named nonfiction books, but I read the book Dune this summer, you know, the movie that just came out. Oh yeah. How was the book? The book is like a classic, like it's from like 1965 or something. And my son and my husband loved it. And they talked about the book for years. They were so excited when the movie came out. I was like, I got to read this book. It was, it was really interesting. It was so, it's amazing to think it was written that long ago because the themes in the book are just so relevant today. Crazy. I'll have to check that one out. I haven't read that one yet. Yeah. So I recommend that. Awesome. I've got some good suggestions. So I'm going to add those to my reading list. Which leads us to our final question. In your opinion, mm-hmm. what is the secret to financial success? I think it's ongoing learning. I don't think you're you're ever done learning about money. I mean, I'm still learning, thinking about it. Like, you know, just the books I just mentioned, Morgan's book. Like, it's it's a lifelong journey. And so I think there's different things to concern yourself with at different stages of your life, but success is to keep on learning. And I think listening to podcasts like yours, um, like however you like to get your information. I love podcasts. I love um, books. Uh, so just to, I take courses still. So I just think just, you know, keep learning. That is such a beautiful way to wrap up this conversation. Robin, thank you again for your time. It was truly a pleasure getting to know you Me too. I'm so happy that we met and thank you for having me on your show, Whitney. Of course. All right. What'd you think? I love this episode. I think the most important thing for me, aside from the needs versus wants, was actually knowing how much information to share with your kids. This is something that I don't know how I would approach that if I had kids. So it's really interesting to hear a professional's perspective and opinion on you know what that could look like. I'd love to hear from you. What were your takeaways from this episode? Please come hang out with me on Instagram. I'm at Whitney underscore Hanson underscore co. And let me know what your takeaways were. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I will see you next week for another episode of the Money Nerds Podcast. Bye.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 